Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to brettridgeway.com forward slash freebie. Welcome to the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway, where you'll learn the keys to building a profitable speaking business from speaking industry pros. Each week, we interview a great guest who will share his or her speaking journey, identify what their keys to success have been, and highlight some critical mistakes they've made along the way that you'll want to avoid. Be sure to visit our website at spotlightonspeaking.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet this week's guest. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway. I am the aforementioned Brett Ridgway, and I'm excited to have as my guest today a gentleman who I've known for a number of years, and I truly respect what he's accomplished in the industry. But my guest today is global credibility expert Mitchell Levy. He's a two-time TEDx speaker and international best-selling author of over 60 books and an executive coach at Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches. After interviewing 500 thought leaders on credibility, he published an international best-selling book in seven countries, delivered a powerful TEDx on humanity, created courses, and created the Credibility Nation membership community to help those live, learn, and surround themselves with others on the credibility journey. He's an accomplished entrepreneur who has created 20 businesses in Silicon Valley, including four publishing companies that have published over 750 books. He's provided strategic consulting to hundreds of companies and has been the chairman of the board of a NASDAQ-listed company. Mitchell has been happily married for 31 years and prior to COVID, regularly spent four weeks a year in Europe with family and friends. Welcome, Mitchell Levy, to the Spotlight on Speaking Show. Brett, it's great to be here. And I, I, I'm just going to say what popped in my head occasionally when, when, when <laughs> very rarely, 10% of the time when people are reading the bio, they don't know what NASDAQ means. <laughs> and and it's always fun when they, when they spell the letters versus saying NASDAQ. <laughs> and so I just thought, Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for sharing my bio, and I'm, I'm, it's always amazing to spend time with you. So I, I, I say congratulations on your 31 years. My wife and I hit 39 this year, so you're still a rookie, man. So <laughs> I, uh, I have time, and and I I obviously need to update my bio. I think we're at 33 now, so I got to oh, update that. Right. Let's give credit where credit is due. So. All right. So very good. So Mitchell, the show is all about people's speaking journey and sharing some tips for success with aspiring speakers so that they, you know, don't necessarily hit all the same potholes that some of us hit as come up and coming speakers and all that. So how many years do you have to go back to where you, you think about your first true speaking engagement? I mean, are you what business were you in and, and what led to you being up on the platform in front of others? I think professionally, but it's so it's a very interesting thing because I way back when 
Um, so I left Sun Microsystems in 1997. Um, part of being at Sun is I rolled out uh, worldwide programs. And in doing so, it gave me the opportunity to speak to different groups of people inside the company and also gave me a platform to speak outside the company. Um, and about that time, I also created, um, I was creating a uh, executive education program at San Jose State University. And so I ended up recruiting 30 speakers and I was teaching courses there. And I was asked to run four conferences for Comdex. So I ended up booking um, over 500 speakers. And by the way, when you are book a booking agent for a large conference it, and you're a speaker, it is hard not to include yourself in one of the prime <laughs> speaking spots. Sure. Um, and so I've been in front of fairly large audiences, fairly large being, you know, 500, 1,000, I mean, large is bigger. And I've also been in front of really small audiences. And so I'm going to give you one big, anyone listening, I want to give you one big tip. Um, and I, I don't know if it's a negative. I'm just going to say what pops into my head. The And, and you and I cover this in our green room time ahead of time. So as a speaker, you need to you need to actually know your content. And it's great if you have slides in background, but you don't need them. But, you know, it's good to have them and use them when you need them. The most important thing when you're when you a, go early to to the event to see who the audience is, get to know your audience. But let's say you don't do that. You just show up last minute. By the way, I do prefer that you go and see and mingle <laughs> with your audience. Right. When you're talking to the person who's hosting you, who's in the room, how much time do I have? And what do you want to make sure we accomplish? And the most important thing, and I'm going to give you a mistake that I saw, and this was a $30,000 keynote speaker. He was paid, in this case, I think he was, he got talked into doing this one thing for free, or maybe he was getting some amount of money. And he had... I think he had either 45 minutes or an hour scheduled over lunch. Well, do, do you know any conference that ever went exactly on time in the way it's supposed to do? And and Brett's shaking his head, no. And the answer is no, nothing goes well. Next thing you know is his time was cut to a half hour. Now, this guy, the entire time of his speech kept talking about how much we would have learned if he had the full hour. And I have yeah. written him out of my journals for the rest of my life, because whatever time you have, you're going to give the best gifts you can for the time you have. And your, your job as a speaker is to make your audience understand that you see them, you understand them, and you're going to give them the best tools you can in the time you have, basically, what is it that they want to learn? And and I, I I could if you want, Brett, I could give you a technique for doing that. But that would be the most important lesson: is whatever time you have is all the time you need to deliver the valuable lesson, the valuable aha moment that you want to deliver. Well, let's let's hear that technique, Mitchell, because this is all about sharing things and tips and tools with aspiring speakers. 
so that they can have greater chances for success. So lay it on us. So if you're listening or watching, here's what I'm going to suggest. Um, and, and it's good to actually, you could do it in online, but I suggest take out a pen or a pencil and a piece of paper. And in that, in that pencil, in the paper, just draw a box in the middle of the uh, paper and write that as your black box. And then draw a line on the left-hand side and that goes into the black box, call that input. And draw a line on the out of the box called on the other side, on the right-hand side of the box called output. So when you're asking the question, how much time do I have? Who's the audience? What do you want to accomplish? The input is you and the location. The output is what the person says you should accomplish. The black box is whatever you need to do to make that thing accomplish. Like I've seen people make mistakes like, oh, I got I got 35 slides. I got to share with you every slide where they may have made the proper point in slide three and then threw the slide presentation away, hmm. right? So if you know what your output is and you focus on delivering the output to that audience, this thing called the black box, how you navigate to get there has to be variable, right? So yeah. it's really interesting. I, I There was a presentation I made the other day to 15 people um, I did it over Zoom and I really didn't know, I knew what the output was and I had a set of slides. I had, I think 20 slides. I, I think I showed three of them because what I did instead, what, what got me interesting to change my presentation, it was on clarity and credibility. Okay. And when I first turned on of the 15, uh, you know, Hollywood squares, Two of them had their camera on. Two of them had their camera on. And I'm like, guys, this is not going to work for me. I'm not speaking to a blank world. It's not content you're going to digest and use. So listen, if you're here, I'd love for you to turn on your camera. Now, let me tell you why you're going to turn on your camera. And then I noticed something else. Many of them didn't have their name. They had maybe the first name. And I said, listen, I've been, I came to the room ahead of time and I wanted to look at who was in the room. And because you didn't have a last name, I couldn't go to LinkedIn to figure it out. So we had an entire, most of the conversation was on etiquette yeah. <laughs> and showing up credibly. And, and I ended up closing business. I didn't expect to, but I ended up closing business because I, I'm, I'm not sure I would say I called people to the table, but I showed people if they're going to spend time. It's not about that lesson they learn it's about them experiencing how to succeed and if they're going to spend time in a room i want to be able to see them i mean physically see them see how they learn see how they react i need to see their you know they can their cameras turned on so anyhow it's i didn't uh, i didn't use hardly any of the slides but so i how actually many, accomplished how the goal more, how many more mitchell of the of the 13 that didn't have their cameras on complied and turned them on for you we got about half. Yeah, we got about got about half. Um, there are still people who didn't turn on, and as a matter of fact, <laughs> one of the people who bought is somebody who never turned his camera on, which was my surprise, by yeah. the way. Mm -hmm. um, and and he followed through with a session where he actually came live, had his camera turned on, and and it was spectacular. I mean, he was an amazing, amazing person. Um, 
And I should have asked him why he didn't turn on his camera, but I, I didn't. I should have. All right. So let's dive back a little bit more into your speaking journey. So you started speaking for large groups like over 25 years ago in some form. It sounded like it was more of a, a training or a product introduction type scenario. But, you know, in, in my mind, Mitchell, there are, are three primary types of speakers. Now, one can argue there's some others, but those would be the, the keynote speaker, the platform seller, and then the person who is just using it for business building purposes. So maybe they're a chiropractor or a financial planner. They're just speaking to local groups to share some information with the hope that when people have a need for their type of service, they'll come to them. So which of those arenas have you played in and which arena do you like to play in the most? Mm. Uh, all three. Um, in terms of where I have played. Uh, so I, uh, one of the things I, I um, one of my bucket list items was to do a commencement speech for a university. So I had a chance to do that. Um, so keynote speaker, check. Selling from stage, check. That's probably the thing I do the least, the least efficiently. I'm much better at it now, but over my life, that's not something I, because when you go for a corporation, you're not really selling from stage. It wasn't until later on in my life that I that I was doing more of that. And the last is information selling. And I think that's probably been the the bigger the bigger thing. Even when I'm keynoting, I'm sort of information selling. Because it's not for me, as I don't I don't actually sell. What I'm doing is I'm presenting a scenario of the future and I'm giving away as much as as hopefully as many tools as I can for the person to reach there. The sale happens when, so what I do when I think about the audience, um, we'll step back. I think about audiences as being comprised of, hopefully everyone's there is interested in your topic. That's not always true, but let's make that assumption. If everyone there is interested in your topic, 10% are people who want to do it themselves. And maybe 80% are people who want to do it with you if they like you and, and 10% want to buy it and get it all done out of the way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that 80, 20 rule, it's just the 10, the 20 is separated into people who need to do it themselves and people who want to have somebody do it for them. So when I'm speaking to a room, I'm speaking to the people who are both the done with you and the do it yourselfers. And I am going to give every secret I can so that the DIY people can do it themselves. Mm -hmm. So let me tell you why. If I do that, I've created a referring partner. I've created somebody who says, I heard Mitchell speak and he gave me everything I needed. And this is what I ended up doing. And they're going to say, when somebody says, I need help, go and, go and research either material, website, or, or hear Mitchell, right? So, so that's my audience. I'm primarily focused on the DIY people and making sure that their consumption of information is what they need to be successful. Does that make right. sense? It makes perfect sense. I want to ask you a little bit. You're a two-time TEDx speaker. So to a person up and coming, what's the real value? in terms of being a TEDx speaker? Is it just a credibility piece to add to the resume or does it have meaning beyond that? I want to say, so first I'm going to say yes. Um, it is absolutely a credibility piece that that because the brand is well known, 
it is one of those things that people go, huh, that's done. And once you've done it twice, valuable. The, um, But there's something else about the TEDx that I absolutely needed the first time I did it. According to my wife and maybe others, I couldn't get in front of somebody and not sound like I was selling, even though I don't, I never felt like I was selling, but they, they were interpreting it as selling. The concept of TED is to share an idea worth sharing. And I had to spend a lot of time focusing on coming up with an idea that was not salesy at all, and then delivering content in such a way that was not salesy at all, that was really 100% focused on delivering value. And to do a TED right, you're going to spend at least one to two months just practicing over and over and over your talk. And I don't memorize, Brett, I don't memorize a talk ever. Yeah. You know, you tell me my output, I know my input, and and tell me how much time, uh, whether it's 60 seconds, done. Whether it's an hour, done, right? I'm I'm fine. The, the thing that's interesting on the TEDx, you end up getting so nervous uh, that you really have to memorize your speech. You may not have to deliver it that way, but you need to be able to memorize it and move it forward. And that's not normally me. So I'll give you three tips for the TED. Um, one is you just have to make sure you're, you know, you, you breathe, you're ready, you're, you're, you're present, right? You're focused on that moment. Um, two, you're not speaking to the person in the room, even though they're there and you want to get, you're speaking to the camera and you're speaking to the audience that will watch you later. Right. And then three is you've got to memorize it because something's going to happen and you got to keep going as is. And, and for me, the first time I did the TEDx, um, what was powerful is I found magic words. So I was doing a lot of networking. I was going to a lot of conferences. The magic words, Brett, were I'd call up the organize the organize organizer. That was a tongue twister for me for a little bit. So I'd call the organizer ahead of time and I'd say, hey, listen, I'm I've been asked to do a, a TEDx and I, I'd love to practice. Is there any spot on the agenda you could squeeze me in? Every place I went, every con I I got a 250 person speaking event. I was going there anyhow, and they found a spot for me on stage. So that was that was my first first time. Second time was during COVID. So what was fascinating is I wasn't doing any physical locations. And so I ended up creating 30 opportunities to to do practice in with these one-on-one -on -one Zoom calls. Well, what I learned was. Um, it is definitely better together. I had 30 people add value. I kept changing it. I had 30 advocates that would help push the TEDx when we were done because they helped contribute to it. Sure. And so I basically, it was it's an amazing business development tool from the, in this case, referral partners who really appreciate you and want to share what you do because they they I asked them for their opinion and contributed. As a matter of fact, in my second TEDx, 
I actually called out my 10th reviewer, guy by the name of Ted Lau. I actually called him out by name in my TEDx because his contribution just changed everything. Well, I appreciate you sharing your TED expertise. And I do have some other questions I want to ask you, Mitchell. But before we do, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to brettridgeway.com forward slash freebie. And we are back with my guest, Mitchell Levy. And Mitchell, I want to go into a couple of different areas with you now. And first of all, you know, one of my most favorite questions to ask my guests always is, okay, time to bare your soul a little bit here and maybe share a speaking mistake that you made along the way that was embarrassing at the time, but a valuable lesson was learned. And it would be something you'd highly advise an up and coming speaker not to do. Hmm. What was buried in at the beginning of the uh, of the episode are things learned. There's a point in time where I I real I was thinking, oh, I had to always show my slide deck, right? Like I had to go beginning to end, and and um, I think every classic salesperson, and if you know, I would I technically wasn't selling. Every classic person salesperson will tell you there's a point in time where the audience gets it. And, and and that's the time to then reinforce it, not to not to bring on new concepts. I, I I did that a number of times. My my favorite lesson. Oh, <laughs> now this is going to be a different sort of lesson. This is a lesson of audiences being different. Um, I took the same material and trained it around the world. So I was doing speaking engagements around the world. I learned that. Japan, the the word yes didn't mean yes the way you and I may have understood. So if I'm training uh, material on a program and I say, hey, does this make sense? Do you understand it? Can you do it yourself? And, and I got the yes coming back. The yes there only meant that they heard that I asked a question. So it it took me in that particular case, I was there for a couple of days and it took me about three hours to realize that my yeses didn't mean what I thought it did. And I had to completely adjust my style to make it more hands-on so that I, I wasn't asking yes or no questions. I was asking something different. So you talk about the audience getting it or whatever, and not having to go through your entire slide deck necessarily once you see that they got it. How do you know as a speaker that they got it? Well, it depends on the audience. With at, at the keynote speaker stage, it's you could hear it and feel it in the murmurs in the crowd. It's harder to do on that one. In audiences that are anywhere between uh, 10 to 100, uh, you pull people out directly. You, you call them out. You you ask. Um, one of the best ways to teach, if you're really teaching to learn, 
and speaking, speaking, I say the word teach and speak almost the same way. Right. And mm -hmm. so that's why it popped out of my head is when you share an idea or a concept and you have, you work with somebody in the audience to pull out the results and you do it directly with them. And, and as they are practicing whatever it is you're, you're sharing and they get it, you're looking around the audience to see who else is sharing, shaking their head, who else doesn't get it. And then you, you could ask questions. Uh, you want to ask questions that people could typically say yes to, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you want to ask questions uh, that would make it feel to you that you've got it. So a good question. How many of you saw this and will practice it later? Right. That's a great question because they don't have to raise their hands. They don't have to feel like seeing it is one thing, practicing it later. Right. And if you don't get enough hands raised, all right, let me you, you throw your slides out. You know, I want more of you to raise your hand. I'm practicing it later. Let's do another exercise. And then you walk people through another exercise. Um, it's once again, if you're thinking about what your end product is, it's about it, and like I said, it's hard to do with larger keynotes, although I've seen keynote speakers do it. You've seen the Tony Robbins do it. He gets into the audience. He walks around. He actually he actually grabs people one by one to do it. You can do it with larger crowds. It's harder, but it's possible. But with smaller crowds, you you test, you poll uh, during, during actually during your presentation. And you you're ready to adjust what you're going to deliver next based on what you get back. Okay. All right. So let's talk about your sweet spot a little bit, Mitchell. And that's, you're the credibility expert guy. So what do you, what does a, a new speaker need to do or what are the best practices or whatever you want to call it for them to establish themselves in the mind of the marketplace as a credible speaker? Well, the, there's a, that's a broad question and, and Lemos, We'll start off with the most simplest result. The most simplest answer is to have clarity of who you are. 98% of, of the thought leaders I spoke with, uh, the 500 thought leaders and past, when I'm looking at audiences, when I'm looking at people, 90 to 98% of people do not have clarity of who they are and how they show up in the world. And so if you want to be a credible speaker, be able to articulate in less than 10 words, who you serve, who's the audience, and either what is the pain point that that they feel they have or what is the pleasure point they want to reach. And that's one of those areas I'm focused on as a as focusing on clarity and I have actually have a clarity certification program. It's to help people understand in less than 10 words the playground they play in. And if you can articulate that and everything is reinforced in that way credibility credibility stems from if you're talking consistently in that playground if when people look you up on social media on your website when they look you up asynchronously they they're reinforcing those messages when they look at other talks you've spoken about that it's consistently aligned with and what I have, it's I call it a CPOP, your customer point of possibilities. So if you want to be a credible speaker, have a CPOP that's easy to wrap your arms around. All right. So you've coined a couple of terms that I would like you to explain to the listeners, and that is cred dust and cred crud. 
<laughs> yeah, those are fun terms. So cred dust is a way in which, so old school teaching is a speaker gets up there and they are the expert and they know everything and they take credit for everything. Same thing as a business leader, as a manager, right? They, they, they take credit for all their people's stuff. Uh, that's not credible. Credible is cr using the word cred dust. Cred dust is sharing the ideas, thoughts, and actions of others. So if you're speaking and you quote other people and they don't have to be just big speakers, they could be just people in your network. But as you're quoting them and people are seeing you share the ideas, thoughts, and other actions of others, that gives you more credibility. Now, cred crud are things that hurt your credibility. Now, there's some obvious things which are, you know, which, which are tremendous. You know, you get arrested for something, you're you being having integrity, that that that's that's tremendous. But let's not focus on that. Let's focus on things that are more subtle. I've run across book publishers that have spelling mistakes on their website. I've run across book publishers that don't use the right copyright at the bottom of their web page. Now, I would call that cred crud. And the best way to think about cred crud is, is you know, your, one of the favorite things we all do is we go to the dentist, right? Don't we love that? And, and what the dentist will often tell you is you got to floss more, you got to brush more. And what often happens is they say, you've got plaque here. And what happens is cred crud is plaque. And the more plaque you have, the better chance of cavities. The more cred crud you have, the better chance of you not being seen as credible. All right. So as we wind down our time together, Mitchell, do you have a gift you'd like to share with our listeners today? You know, the the easiest thing um, is, let's see, let me think about two, because I didn't have, I don't have the URL for the gift right available. So we'll make sure that appears in the show notes down below, certainly. So if you don't know the URL at the top of your head, we'll make sure it's there. I got it. Okay. So the two things um, I will, uh, I do a clarity session once a month. I will give a special uh, coupon code. We, it's normally $250. I'll give a coupon code to you um, that will, that will make that just a hundred. And I will guarantee that everyone who goes to that session will come back with their CPOP. And so that's a really powerful one. Now, if you want a free gift, um, I also have, um, I've been doing Ultimate Credibility Boot Camps and we came up with a PDF, which is a one page reminder of all the things we need to do so we can avoid the cred crud. So I'll give you both and you could could both in the, uh, in the show notes. All right. And for those things that this will also be in the show notes, but where do people go if they want to get involved in your world and find out more about Mitchell Levy? Just exactly there. It's um, go to my website. So it's MitchellLevy.com, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-L-E-V-Y.com. So three L's. And, you know, if, if you decide you need to book time on my calendar, please do. If you want to go to the, uh, the, the credibility booster to get clarity, um, all I need to do is give you the, uh, give you the coupon code. I, you know, the only coupon code I remember, which I think still works 
is one that I was using <laughs> for Thanksgiving. So if you want that coupon code, it's just thanks, T-H-A-N-K-S. And it takes the 250 price down to 100. But I'll I'll send it to you and I'll probably send you a different, whatever, my team has a new cute uh, coupon code. But I'm going to ask them to keep the thanks coupon code around. All right. Very good. So any, any final words of wisdom before our listeners, before we sign off this afternoon? Yeah. Well, first, Brett, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So uh, happy you joined me. Oh, you're welcome. And and the final words is, I'm going to say that at least 90%, maybe more, I've got to find that statistics of humans, of you, are born, you live, you die without ever knowing your purpose. And it is so easy. I'm just going to say, it's, it probably easy is not the right word. It's so simple to articulate a purpose statement and live within your purpose. And I want to encourage you to find that thing that you love where you can add value to others while you're making money and while you're doing that, have other people refer you. That's what we do in the clarity session. And, and even whether you need our clarity session or not, I would encourage you to do it yourself. Find that thing, which is your purpose, why you want to live, why you want to add value, because you know you got this life to live. You might as well enjoy it while you're here. All right. Well, my sincere thanks to you, Mitchell, for joining me on this episode of the Spotlight on Speaking Show. As always, to our listeners out there, thank you for joining us. Appreciate Mitchell sharing his wisdom with you this afternoon. If you haven't been over to brettridgeway.com, by all means, grab the special report. There are three key things entrepreneurs must master to build a profitable speaking business. And as always, I wish you the greatest of success in all that you do. And may this year be your greatest year yet. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks. Take care. Bye. This has been the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway. Be sure to join us every week as we interview speaking industry pros and have them share their best tips for building a profitable speaking business. Until next week, thank you for tuning in. And remember to visit our website at spotlightonspeaking.com so you can enjoy even more great episodes like this one. While you're here, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Spotlight on Speaking Show. Until then, our sincere best wishes to you for the greatest of success as you work to build your own profitable speaking business.